Hey, it's Mark. Last month, the Food and Drug Administration issued a ruling that will allow some hearing aids to be sold over the counter. Regulations had blocked such access for decades, and due to product markups, hearing aids cost upwards of $5,000 a pair, so they were out of reach for many. The FDA's historic ruling, which followed passage of 2017's Over-the-Counter Hearing Aid Act, gives the millions of people who suffer from hearing loss direct access to affordable hearing aids instead of having to go through clinicians. But the hearing aid industry, which is largely controlled by the five biggest manufacturers, opposed the new policy, which was promulgated to increase competition. The policy may not only drive down costs, it could result in an increase in marketing as manufacturers look to establish relationships with consumers. This week on the podcast, the FDA's policy shift on hearing aids and what it means for consumers and for healthcare marketers and some of the early efforts in that regard. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. With the FDA's rule set to take effect in about a month, hearing aids could start appearing in stores or online retailers by the middle of October. We speak with Blake Cadwell, founder and CEO of Soundly, a direct consumer hearing health marketplace, about how the rule promises to broaden availability, lower costs, and bring about technology improvements. Blake, welcome to the MMM Podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Absolutely terrific to have you. Before starting Soundly uh, earlier this year, you worked in the agency space for about 10 years. First, can you tell us what Soundly is and your inspiration for starting it? Yeah, so Soundly is a consumer marketplace that really intends to serve as the sort of front page or front door to the hearing health space. And the project was inspired by my own experience searching for hearing aids. I have hereditary hearing loss. It's shared by my mom and my brother. And in 2020, after putting off treatment for many years, which is not uncommon in the hearing health world, everyone put on masks and um, I'm a avid lip reader. And so when everyone around me began to wear masks, I you know, suddenly lost my ability to really communicate effectively. And that sent me down the path to search for hearing products and hearing aids that would assist me in that time and, and into the future. And as I began the research process, you know, I, I found myself spending hours and hours and I had dozens of tabs open and the research process itself felt, you know, very broken, um, confusing, things were conflicting with each other. And, you know, I'm going to all these different resources and that's where the seed began to be planted to bring it all together, kind of collapse all those tabs into one. And that's ultimately what became soundly.com. So today when consumers go to soundly.com, they can review and compare uh, over 50 products. They can search for local care using their zip code. They can take a hearing screener, it takes about five minutes and gives them an audiogram style result. And then of course there's educational information as well about which products might be right for the certain people and which ones might, might be right for others. So since you did that research process, you know, of trying to find hearing aids for yourself, can you kind of briefly give us an overview of the landscape? Yeah. So the landscape today is a little different than it was in 2020. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot, a lot more about that, but um, historically the way folks who need hearing aids would have accessed the industry is they would look up a local provider in their phone book or on Yelp. Uh, they would go to that local provider, 
the care, you know, audiologist or hearing professional would, would take a hearing test and would offer them a couple of products, all a fairly contained and localized process. What's changed over the last handful of years is that consumers are more and more interested in doing research up front. And so now you start to see consumers doing a lot of research, finding the brands or products that they're the most interested in, and then trying to pair themselves with care that is appropriate. You're also seeing a rise of brands going direct to consumer or attempting to go direct to consumer. And the new FDA ruling that you mentioned was going to make that a whole, whole lot easier. So today, 95% or so go to a local clinic. That number will probably come down over time. Hey, right. So, you know, before Soundly, you did have uh, some other DTC distribution channels, but not many. Of course, you have Costco, which I think is the second largest provider of hearing aids in the U.S. after the Veterans Affairs Administration. But do you think that your experience was similar to the typical uh, consumer experience of finding hearing aids? And how do you think the rule change will, will improve on that? I do. I think many consumers, especially those who are a little bit younger or maybe earlier in their process, are increasingly wanting to research ahead of getting care. You know, I know in my experience, the notion of going to a local clinic and sort of signing up for a process where I would only see a couple of products at the end. And I wasn't aware of the prices up front. You know, that's an important element here is you don't know the price when you go to a local clinic. Um, you know, that was intimidating for me and it wasn't, didn't fit my style and how I like to purchase most things in my life. I like to be pretty researched when I purchase cars or technology. And similarly, I wanted to do that research up front. I think a lot of consumers share that sentiment. And I think ultimately the shift is towards more informed consumers. Now, in terms of how the landscape changes, there are significant changes that we'll all experience as the over-the-counter ruling becomes finalized in October. And I think the biggest ones are entry-level products or products for mild to moderate hearing loss will become available more broadly direct to consumers. So you'll see them in places like Best Buy, you might see them in, in other retail environments, even drugstores potentially, and then certainly online. And so folks can easily access care without having to go through the medical process, which gives them all that information up front and allows them to enter into the space with a lower barrier. And I think that's really what gets a lot of folks excited is that instead of waiting, the average is, is 10 years, you know, people may begin to access care more quickly. And ultimately they may graduate to a more prescription level care, but it gets them in the door. Right. And let's just talk about the affordability aspect for a second. This promises to make them more affordable. The FDA estimated that the price of the devices could come down by about $2,800 a pair once the rule kicks in. Do you agree with that? I think it depends on what you're comparing that to. I know the national average is around $4,500 for a pair today. And for most people, that's out of pocket. So it's a very significant expense. I do think costs will go down. You know, I think it's important to note that the cost of professional care in a clinic is very difficult to push down. And the reason for that is you have staff that needs to be at that clinic. You have highly trained professionals that need to program and, and provide face-to-face -face care. Those are you know expensive propositions. What's shifting here underlying the, the uh, regulation change is that technology is changing and giving us far more power to program hearing aids and adjust them using a smartphone. And so brands like Bose, um, who created a, an amazing technology that gives you kind of all the power you need in your in the palm of your hand, 
to program and change and update your hearing aids, those products can be provided and, and sold at a much lower cost. So the Bose hearing aid today is $899 compared to that for four or $5,000 cost uh, for a prescription product. So to what types of devices does the new rule apply? Yeah, so the over-the-counter hearing aid ruling is really targeted at air conduction hearing aids. So hearing aids that send sound through the air versus a, an implant. Um, it's also targeted at the mild to moderate hearing loss levels. So if you have severe hearing loss or profound hearing loss, even if you're not getting an implant, the FDA continues to, uh, will continue to regulate that as a prescription category. But if you're mild to moderate, which is the majority of those with hearing loss, you now have the option to get products that are sold over the counter and then potentially are self-fit. And I think the FDA is still defining some of the labeling and exact detail that will go on the packaging to indicate which products are which. But um, if you're someone like me who struggles in certain contexts, can maybe get by in others, needs to turn the TV volume up quite a bit, but you know, is, is not in that space where, you know, it's, it's severe or profound, then this is, this really targets you and, and will make accessibility, you know, much, much easier. Only a small share of Americans with hearing loss around 14% use hearing aids primarily due to their high costs. While the FDA's proposed rule would expand access, there was one big group that opposed it, the big five hearing aid manufacturers, which control 90% of the hearing aid market. That's after the break. Blake, in October, when the FDA proposed this rule change, how did the big manufacturers, uh, which control most of the market, react? You know, I would imagine that uh, this didn't go over so well with them. The new ruling is very disruptive. It changes the dynamics of the market. And as a result, a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about it. Um, the manufacturers who really are by de by default the leaders of the of this kind of space at this time they came back i think with with mixed feelings on the topic i think there's a lot of things being said about the improvement of access for consumers and that that's a positive uh, you know some manufacturers talked about the fact that this might get people to begin treating their hearing health earlier and ultimately lead to more prescription products being sold in the future. So there's, I think there's a lot of, you know, kind of thinking about it and what this might do to the long-term market dynamics. Um, there certainly is also concern. And I think the, the manufacturers mostly present this, and in some cases, audiologists also present this as a concern that folks will undertreat, mistreat, their hearing loss and that they'll get a product that isn't appropriate for their hearing loss and ultimately be frustrated or not get the care that they need. And, you know, I think the FDA spoke to this a lot in the, the ruling itself in that the, the FDA specifically set the kind of top end output levels of over-the-counter hearing aids in a way that isn't going to damage people's hearing. Uh, they feel strongly that these targeted devices for mild to moderate hearing loss are safe for all folks. So I think that really the risk here is that people get undertreated or don't get treated quite as well as they could um, with a premium, a premium service. And that's really the emphasis that the largest manufacturers have put on the topic. I do think that what you'll probably see over the next few years is most of the largest manufacturers, if not all of them, will release over-the-counter hearing aids and sell directly to the consumer. 
Um, I think that's almost inevitable. GN, uh, which is the the fourth largest manufacturer in the group, has already announced their intention to uh, launch Jobber Enhance Plus, which will be an over-the-counter product. So, you know, I think it kind of cuts both ways and, and manufacturers will probably enter into this part of the market. Sure. Right. It's a $6 billion market. So there's a, certainly a lot at stake uh, for those manufacturers. And they opposed certain provisions of the FDA's proposed role, most notably the limit on the sound volume, as you said, and, and the absence of a gain limit and the federal preemption requirements. And so the final rule includes a limit on the sound volume of each device and certainly certain labeling requirements. How do you expect their sales and marketing to change as manufacturers look to establish relationships with consumers, some of them for the first time? I think that um, the largest manufacturers in the hearing space have a lot of work to do and a lot of investment to make in sales and marketing. And, and the reason for that is, you know, if you poll most consumers, they don't actually know which brand of hearing aid they wear. Um, and there, there are a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, one is that many of the top manufacturers have lots of white labeled names for the same product that they sell through various retailers. You know, in other cases, this has just been emphasized as a prescription product that is in the control of an audiologist or a hearing professional. And so the consumer awareness and mindset just hasn't been as, as commercially important. But as the market dynamics shift, you know, I think each of the five holding groups that you know, have these brands are really going to be looking to make investments in directly building their name, their brand awareness, their loyalty. Those are things I expect to happen quickly. And I think in the short term, you see larger tech names like Jabra or Bose being put into the mix with a, the knowledge that those are household names uh, that many folks do know and, and trust. Right. And as you told me uh, offline, that the five largest manufacturers, for the most part, have not done much direct to consumer because it's really been a, a B2B kind of a business up to this point. They've spent most of their budgets on establishing relationships with the clinicians, right? Absolutely. I think if you, th if you compare uh, hearing health to almost any other category, it's difficult to recall any TV commercial you've ever seen for it or any really ad that, that you might've seen at all, other than if you if you happen to Google something about hearing care, you probably get retargeted a whole bunch to try to get you to go into a, a local clinic. But the brand awareness for some of these large brands is you know, very, very low. And I will say anecdotally, as I've talked to customers and I say, what do you wear? Many of them will take the product out of their ear, look at it and say, oh, here, here's what it is. Um, and they just aren't thinking about it. They, they know they go to a local audiologist. They probably know the name of that person, but they don't know that brand. Sure, sure. And some of those efforts have already gotten off the ground. You did something on Roblox, the children's gaming platform. Is that right? Yeah. So I think one thing we haven't talked a ton about here um, is stigma. And that's a huge part of the whole world of hearing health for lots of reasons. Consumers think about hearing aids and hearing health in a very different way than they do glasses or even some other assistive technology. And that's something that Soundly is really targeting in our kind of marketing and, and uh, public efforts is how can we change the way people think about this? And one thing we found early this year is that on the number one platform for kids gaming, which is called Roblox, there were no hearing aids offered 
for characters to dress their avatars up with. And Roblox, if you know anything about it or have a kid that plays Roblox, you'll know that one of the largest parts about the game is that you dress up your character to look like yourself. So if you're a Lakers fan, you might wear a Lakers hat or you wear something that represents your style. And when you search for glasses, there are a thousand options or more than a thousand options. When you search for hearing aids, no collections were coming back. And so we designed a really cool, bold, colorful, you know, meant to be seen and shown off collection and put that in the the Roblox avatar catalog. So if you search hearing aids today, you now get really great options. And we've seen a lot of players actually wearing them and responding, excited that they were able to bring this part of their life into the game. There are still some hindrances to uh, expanded access in this in this market, namely uh, Medicare hearing policy. You know, currently individuals covered by Medicare are not allowed to receive hearing care support services from an audiologist. Might we see some changes in that area? I think that's a big question. It's uh, I think we were close last year, and the political landscape didn't allow for that. There was in within. Um, the Build Back Better plan that, that the Biden administration put forward, there would have been some significant changes in what you just mentioned. Those were taken off the table at the last minute. And, you know, I think it's a huge disappointment for consumers who who deal with this and, and hearing aid wearers. I think over time, folks will see hearing health in a different way than they do today. And as an essential part of the overall health picture, it really makes very little sense that we don't treat this part of, of our health when it's connected to so many things. There are lots of studies that show its connection to dementia, to fall risks, to other types of health and well-being, um, and certainly to mental health. So it's a significant part of people's overall well-being, and, and it really should be covered by our health systems. And unfortunately, it's not today. I, I hope that that shifts over, over the next few years. And you mentioned uh, that, you know, with the manufacturers themselves, they opposed this change for years, but uh, eventually, you know, most of them uh, will, you expect will be towing the line, so to speak. What about the impact on the professional community, you know, of audiologists? Obviously this is, is a disruptor, you know, for the way they've been used to doing business as well. How do you expect them to feel about losing control here? Yeah. Well, I think a couple different things on this point. I, I think one, there is probably an undervaluing of how important that face-to-face and in-person care really is to the overall system. It's easy to talk about disruption and shifting the entire strategy, but ultimately when you have someone who can't figure out how to make their little product work, it's really reassuring and sometimes vital that they have someone to talk to, someone to work with, someone who can actually coach them through the process. And so I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I think the largest conversation within the professional community right now is how to shift away from the model that is based on device sales, which is essentially how most audiologists make their money is that they they sell a device and they get a portion of that sale um, towards a service model, uh, which is based on time spent. And you know, I think there's there's a consumer perception that we'll have to shift around that and seeing the audiologist's time as valuable and essential as it is. And then there's also an industry perception, which I think will, you know, in some ways maybe be forced to change as the way consumers access products changes. You know, I think a lot about the Apple Genius Bar or Best Buy's Geek Squad. And I think those are in some cases, it's a tech application, but in some cases, I think those are the types of services that the hearing industry will need in the future uh, as people are 
programming and, and using their own devices, but then run into problems and need support and help. And an audiologist can be a really important part of, of that follow-up process. Sure. Yeah. Back in the day, uh, edited a magazine uh, for audiologists. And uh, I know that's, it's really, it's really a, you know, kind of built around a lot of these, you know, small local providers. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how, uh, how they react and, and, and change and evolve in the wake of this. So basically, you know, more people are expected to get hearing aids, uh, more manufacturers are expected to enter the space. The technology is set to um, improve and the prices are, are looking at coming down. What, what's the upshot here for consumers? I think for consumers, the developments of this summer and what has kind of come before it are almost entirely positive, along with more control which the consumer will now have. There's of course more risk that you do something wrong or don't do it right. And you know, one thing I've told to a lot of our users on Soundly's site is if you have the means and the desire to get at premium level of care and service and you want someone to just absolutely hold your hand through the process, which many people do, working with a local audiologist through a prescription process, even if you have a mild to moderate hearing loss is a fantastic option. I know that's the path that my mom has taken for years. She will probably continue to do that. I don't see her shifting anytime soon, but I think if you're a consumer who has been on the sidelines for one reason or another, whether it's cost or stigma, or it just feels too much, this gives you a way to, to get involved and, and you can get that Bose hearing aid for less than a thousand dollars. And you can start to understand what it means to get that type of assistance. And then you can decide if you want more or less service and, and care around that in the future. Okay. Blake, this has been fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.